Productive Disruption is a podcast presented by Rhodes Branding, spotlighting bold and innovative ideas that have the ability to reshape K-12 education. If you're looking for actionable ideas about how to operate and innovate your school, you've come to the right place. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Productive Disruption. I'm your host, Molly McGowan-Gorsuch, and I'm the Director of Client Engagement at Rhodes Branding. If you're a superintendent or K-12 school leader listening to this right now, you're probably familiar with the Slick School CEO publications. You may actually have one on your desk right now. For those who don't know, School CEO is a research and perspectives magazine for school superintendents and other K-12 leaders that's powered by Aptigy. School CEO also boasts conferences, its own podcasts, and more. So today, I'm excited to be speaking with Aptigy's Vice President of Marketing, Tyler Vosser, about School CEO's extensive research on educator retention and recruitment. We're going to cover key points that research has revealed and recommendations for K-12 leaders based on those findings. Tyler, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks, Molly. I'm excited to be here. I've had a chance to spend some time with some of your colleagues at Rhodes, and it's been uh, great to get to know them. But yeah, excited to talk more with you today about this topic of recruitment and retention. So before we dive into the data and the research, tell me a little bit about how you got here, because I know this is part of this is your background. This is you've been living this. Yeah, so my background's in marketing and communications, but I actually took a detour about six years ago when I came to Aptigy, and I focused on recruitment, on hiring, on culture, onboarding. And so today, as you and I talk, we're going to be talking about School CEO and the research that we've done on that front, uh, but also I'll be drawing from my own experience. So it's one thing to talk about research and theory. Uh, it's another to talk about actually doing it, the tactics, the strategies of being on the ground, right? So hopefully as we go through this, right, can kind of draw from both experience and also the data uh, to make it really useful and actually act like applicable and helpful. Absolutely. So diving into that data, I know that in 2019, just a few years ago, school CEO ran a study focusing specifically on what millennial teachers want. And, and more recently this year, they followed up with a 2023 teacher satisfaction survey that actually spans generations. Um, I think they had a sample size of a thousand educators from all 50 states and all working age groups, uh, more than 300 randomly selected districts. So look Looking at 2019 and you know the 2023 data, first off, what's what's changed in these four years' time? Yeah, it's interesting. So for us, you know, the studies are a little bit different. They're both looking at some similar questions, but the purpose of the 2023 study was not so much to follow up on what's changed, but just to look at what are teachers thinking now of all generations about how they're making decisions in their careers. Uh, but it is still interesting for us to have this kind of snapshot before COVID for one particular demographic being millennial teachers. And then now, you know, four years later, looking at maybe what's changed. And so I think one of the major parts of what's changed, and even though this wasn't the, the heart of the research, one thing that we noticed is that word of mouth declined a bit as far as how teachers are finding out about jobs and how much like digital exploration increased. And it makes sense, right? Like during the pandemic, we're spending more time in our homes, less time out socially talking about job opportunities. And so while word of mouth is still very important, in fact, it's the second most important way that people find out about jobs, what we discovered is that it did decline and that people are, you know, shopping online, so to speak, more frequently for opportunities. At least their first touch point is going to be them searching online for a job opportunity or looking at a school's website to decide if they want to take an app 
you know, put in an application or take that next step to talk to somebody in the district about what it's like to work there. That's that's interesting. Actually, we just um, my, myself and a, a colleague just presented on this and talked about some of the consumer trends and so much of the research now is not just again, yes, happening on your phones, because that's where everybody lives now. But the research within social media as well. So it's kind of like that that word of mouth may exist, but it's just changing so much. It's it's digital word of mouth now, and it, and it's all it's all online. So um, yeah, I thought that was thing, an interesting point. Yeah, that is a good point, right? And social media, I think, is rarely how people discover a job, but it's part of their like as they dive deeper into, do I want to work here? Who else mm-hmm. do I know that works here? What does it feel and look like to be a teacher in the school? That's where social media can be really powerful, right? Because it's these snapshots into the day-to-day life. So absolutely what you just said, Molly. I think one kind of other part to your question about like what's changed is actually what hasn't changed. And I think one thing we've seen uh, in this 2023 data is that generations, while there are differences, of course, uh, there's actually a lot of similarities, right? People are people are people. And while things are changing and there's macro trends and this or that, in general, so many of us from Gen Z to you know someone that's you know in the baby boomer generation, we're all changing how we think about decisions, right? It's not just mm-hmm. millennials that are using Zillow to buy houses, right? Uh, <laughs> other generations are doing that too, right? We kind of want to find these patterns, but in general, we're seeing a lot of behavior change uh, across generations. And even just recently on our own podcast, uh, School CEO, we kind of did this mini series within our season two about generations. And we looked at Gen Z students and how do you support them? And we had Kim Lear, who's one of our speakers at our conferences, come on about generations. And Kim Lear is actually a generational researcher. And she points out the, you know, kind of the key differences and events that have shaped generations. But she says something similar, which is, you know, in general, all generations are shifting and this kind of digital revolution that we've been talking about for 20 years uh, isn't limited to one particular demographic. Right. And that makes sense because we're all living in the same space. We're all exposed to the same stuff. So makes a lot of sense. Um, So based based on school CEOs research, what are some of the key factors that um, you're finding contribute to teachers feeling happy and fulfilled in their positions? Yeah, when School CEO presents across the country about this data and what you can do with it, it's, you know, usually we, we just kind of ask the, the audience, whether that's superintendents or teachers or everybody in between, you know, what do you think is the most important thing? And they actually intuitively really know this, right? And so they, they know it's going to be culture, it's going to be leadership. And so across all demographics, teachers rank location, culture, and leadership as the most important dimensions of a workplace. And now we'll talk about salary and benefits. That's obviously important too. But aside from salary and benefits, those are really the big three. And the fourth one that's just kind of right behind those is this idea of like greater flexibility in curriculum and teaching. And I would actually describe this as trust. And in some ways, it's hard to untangle things like culture, leadership, and trust because they all influence each other and they're, they're so closely connected. But we know from the data, but also firsthand experience, how important it is for teachers to have an environment where they feel supported, where they want to come to work, where they trust their coworkers, their coworkers trust them, and their leadership has their back. Yeah, we hear flexibility a lot, but it's also kind of flexibility, but autonomy, or like you said, trust. And, you know, this is I, trust in me as an educator to to do what's right and do, um, you know, obviously follow the standards, but I can I can make that work in my classroom the way 
that works best for me and works best for my students. So that that was kind of interesting, just that tie in with so much conversation about flexibility, especially again, going back to the Gen Z and the millennials and saying that's something we always say we want. I say we because I'm a millennial, an elder millennial, but um, a little bit more about location, because I know something different uh, came out of that research, at least something different, uh, a different way of looking at location being a factor. Yeah, I think when you hear locations, one of the most important, in this case, the most important factor, you think, oh, like, okay, if my district is not in the mountains at a, you know, ski resort or on the beach, then like, what can I do, right? You can't pick up your district and move it to a better location, right? Your zip code is your zip code, and it's not changing. Uh, but actually, it was different than what we expected, right? So instead of thinking of locations like teachers are willing to move and uproot their life to go to the to a desirable place, uh, what they're actually thinking is, I already have my roots here. I'm open to looking for other opportunities. I might even move and change districts or schools within a district, but I don't want to move across the country for a similar job, right? And that makes sense. Like if you're a third grade teacher, you you know probably don't live that far from where you grew up, where your family is. And if you see you know another third grade opportunity, but it's across the country where you don't have roots, location matters because you're not going to move for that opportunity. You actually want to stay close to home. And so location is important, uh, but maybe not in the way that we think. Now, 60% said they consider it important because they don't want to move, but there still was 30% that are open to moving. And that tended to be those younger generations, right? So younger millennials, Gen Z. And so location is important in multiple ways, making sure that the community that's around you knows what you're offering, uh, especially think about like classified positions. Not all, the, not the public doesn't always know that it's more than teachers that work in schools, right? So right. making sure the community that is around you understands that there's a lot of opportunities to work within your district and that you don't necessarily have to have a certain background to help be a bus driver, right? And on the other hand, make sure that someone that is kind of looking from the outside in and considering, should I move there or not? Or maybe they moved away and they had a career somewhere else and are thinking about moving closer to home, that you're highlighting the benefits of your location. Um, and even if you don't have mountains or a beach, right, there still are benefits. And we saw that happen during the pandemic where people moved out of big cities into uh, very rural areas. And they're people that you wouldn't necessarily expect to make that move, but it disrupted their life. They were ready to do something different and they wanted that slower pace of life. And so what might have felt like a detractor to moving people to your location actually became a benefit. And so just reframing how you think about location for those 30% that are willing to move is so important. Yeah. And also important for those 60% to remind them of why it's the value prop of why they should stay where they're at. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes we forget, we take for granted the benefits that we have, right? I think there's some stat out there that, you know, the first three months that you move to a place, you do all the touristy fun things, you get out. And then if you're leaving again, you, those last three months, you do the same thing. And so if someone's kind of got an eye on another location, how can you remind them of actually a lot of the things that they're looking for somewhere else, you probably actually have. They've just kind of taken it for granted or it's not as visible to them because it's there every day. Right. There are so many different ways and things to highlight on like a careers page. And I think we're going to talk about that later. But um, again, like what 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 should you be looking for? What what is going to entice you to stay and, and stay engaged in your community? Um now, the elephant in the room, or I guess something that everyone always wants to talk about is, of course, salary and benefits, but those are kind of like pay to play, right? Those are those exist and you're, they're expected. But how significant is that role of salary and benefits in a teacher's decision to stay or leave a position based on um, the research you guys have seen? 
Yeah, one quick note here. I think it's important to acknowledge that salary and benefits are important. And it's not like, let's get culture so that we don't have to pay as much, right? I don't think that's the right way of looking at it. Um, so salary and benefits are very important. But what's surprising, both in the 2019 data with millennials and the 2023 data with all generations, is that for 50% of teachers, it's not the most important deciding factor. Now, that means there are 50% that it is the most deciding fact, important right. deciding factor. But it's interesting that it's split in that way, right? I think if you just kind of pulled people on the street and you said, hey, how important are salary and benefits? They would say, oh, it's like the most important thing. But when teachers were doing our survey and they were looking at these questions, they're really self-reflective. And they think, you know what? Actually, and anecdotally, we've heard this both in the open responses and just in our conversations with school leaders and with teachers is, that you might take a job that actually pays a little bit less uh, because you feel supported and you have the culture and that's really important, right? I just think it's important to keep saying like, work on your culture and do everything you can to provide the best benefits and the best salaries that you can to your teachers as well. 100%, you're right. Yes, you, there's lots of ways to show value. And and again, you know, we, we know that we want to provide those, um, those tangible benefits just as much as those intangibles. Um, Speaking about the intangibles, and you touched on this a little bit earlier about school culture, leadership, that trust, support, and how does that play into a into a teacher's decision to either join or or continue to stay, like that retention aspect at a school? Yeah, it's a big question, right? We could probably spend three hours talking about this, and so much of school CEOs' resources, so our podcast, the magazine, our discussion guides can help you really dig into this, right? I wish we had time to fully explore culture. It's something at School CEO Conference we go really deep into. Uh, one of the best speakers we've ever had, and has, he's come back to every single uh, conference we've had, is Neil Doshi. And he really gets into how do you build a high-performing culture? And so I'll touch on that a little bit here, but I just don't know that there's time to go all the way in. Uh, but yeah, in short, culture and leadership are just critically important to hiring, right? And retention too, and there's just no way around it. Um, but what's tricky about those things is while we know that's true, culture in particular can feel really hard to know how to like adjust it, right? Like salary and benefits, uh, you can literally list them out. There's a number, you can put it in a spreadsheet, but culture doesn't operate that way. And I think that's a real shame, right? Because if it were, we could kind of put our hands on it. And so it's hard to prove the ROI of culture, but while that's a unique challenge, I think there's also a unique opportunity there. And so the advice I often give based on our research is that if you and your leadership team can find a way to make your culture more visible to an outsider, you have a much better opportunity to recruit them and you have an opportunity to retain your people because you're reinforcing that culture by putting it out there, by saying it publicly. The mistake I think that so many of us make is that, you know, even let's say you have just the best culture, you kind of think, okay, we're, we've created a great culture, that should be enough. We, it, you know, word of mouth will do its job. And to a degree, that's true, right? But to someone from the outside looking in, they just really have no idea until they're already in the job. And so when people are researching online for opportunities, especially if that's, you know, word of mouth is the second step that first step needs to make these invisible things, your leadership, your culture, that trust and support as visible as possible. And so some of the advice we often give is that, you know, you should create a careers page. And that is not a page with 50 job openings. Uh, it is a page that makes the case for why someone would want to work for your district, for your schools. What is it really like to work there? 
And I think we've all had this experience where you read a job description, talk to somebody, you get the job, and then you know, two or three months in, you realize, oh, this is what the job really is and what it's really like to work here. And so, but it's too late, right? You're, you're going to be there for the next year. You're going to stick with it for a while. So the more you can help people know what it's like to work for your schools before they apply, as they go through the application process, before they sign, the better, right? Now, of course, there needs to be authenticity there. You can't paint a right. picture on your careers page that has nothing to do with the actual day to day. Uh, but I also think that's a good step to take to say, hey, who do we want to be? How do we make that visible? And what are the things that are already true of us? And how do we make those things visible as well? And so this can be everything from, you know, making a video. Like I think Rhodes, you, you all make a lot of videos that help people really grasp what a school district is, who the, what they're about, who's leading it, what that support looks like. But it can also be really simple. It can be putting your mission statement out there or just writing out your values, putting pictures, you know, clips of teachers talking about their experience working there. It doesn't have to be too complicated. And so the advice we're often giving is talk about your location, talk about your culture, talk about your leadership and where you can talk about things like how you support your teachers, how much flexibility mm -hmm. is there as far as like trust goes, right? Are you kind of looking over people's shoulder? Can you write like a short paragraph about how you work as a district? And maybe even if you can, how that might be different from other districts around you. Yeah, and so, that's a great point because sometimes some of the the best uh, examples we've seen of career pages, and especially when we're you know um, comparing them, like you said, across districts, um, not only show maybe testimonials of some of um, their again, not just teachers, but you said like bus drivers and um, facilities staff, people that show that paint that picture of, of, of who that district is and, and how they value everyone in it. Um, but but also the the opportunities for growth, because I know that's something that our research has shown is is so important for it's not just about like, where are we now in our careers? Where do we want to be in our careers? And is this district going to help me get there? Um, are there supports in place? And just by showing those and showcasing and saying, okay, yeah, you can, um, not only do we have these, of course, you're going to have professional development through the district, but here's some opportunities that we provide um, and support you for your own. Like if you're seeking out things, additional certifications um, and I think that that's one of the things that maybe a lot of districts miss um, just because maybe they take it for granted. They're like, oh, yeah, this is something we do. And most districts do. But maybe they don't. Maybe your neighboring district doesn't offer that or or it's not as well known. So, like, capitalize on those, you know, celebrate the wins that you are doing. Yeah. Um, and to add to that, I would say you might actually have that already. But you think, oh, like once people are onboarded, once they're an employee, we walk them through that career path and what it looks like. It's like, that's great, but it's too late, right? You missed out on people that would have signed up, would have gone through the interview process if they had known that uh, before they were an employee, right? And a lot of times you just don't get the opportunity to have conversations with people because they're doing so much of their research online. And I talk about this all the time with superintendents. Like if you had a chance to sit in front of every teacher that got on your website and tell them about your district, I'm pretty confident you could convince them to work for you but you don't get that opportunity if they just go to your page, they see 50 open jobs and they have no idea what your culture is like, what you are like as a leader. And so they move on, right? So you never get that chance to really have that conversation. And in separate research that we've done, School CEO found that only 8% of districts have a dedicated careers page, that page that makes the case for why you should work there. So if you can just build that page as simple as it can be, 
you're actually like you're going to be in the minority of school districts that are painting that picture. And that's that number's gone up a little bit uh, since, you know, 2019 when we did some of that initial studies. And it's because of the, the recruiting needs, you know, the importance of retaining and keeping teachers and wanting to show this is who we are, not just as a school, but as an employer. Exactly. And I think, you know, when you say careers page, too, it's not there's a difference between like le- careers and jobs like the job is the role right but the career like that's where you're going to continue your growth in the district and i think that's something that um maybe leaders should also keep in mind too you know it's it's the growth potential and not just not just the individual job they they're going to get because if you're going to get a high flyer who may grow out of that role you're going to want to keep them and they're going to want to see the other opportunities or jobs they have but they're going to know how um their career is going to be supported but that's just, those are wordsmiths, but that's, that's what I, I think about that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. And I think it can be tricky and intimidating. Like if you go look in the private sector and school CEOs often pulling in private sector examples, because you can learn so much from other industries uh, about how to do your own job better. Right. And so when we look at the private sector, there can be some really like amazing career pages and it's like, take the elements, but you don't have to go build exactly what they have right? Like a fortune 500 company is going to have a different careers page than a a school district with 500 students, but you can still take the things that Molly and I are talking about here, right? The location, the culture, the leadership, take those principles and build a simple careers page. And just the fact that you've done it is actually a signal to candidates that it matters to you, right? You know that they're thinking about these things and you're not just trying to fill a position, but as a leader, you're thinking about what do candidates want? What do they need to know about us because they can work anywhere? And so what do we want them to know about us in order for them to take those first steps in the application process? And before we move on, one one quick note, I, I do also like to recommend to folks to do when you're talking about location specifically, you don't have to reinvent the wheel, get in support, crowdsource from your, your chamber of commerce, get your, um, they're, they're going to have video, they're going to have footage, they're going to have um, factoids that you can utilize, and they're going to love the fact that you're supporting them. And it's it's all tied together. It's the it's commerce, it's workforce development. Um, so the more you can collaborate on that, I think the better. So I don't Absolutely. know if you've, you've seen some uh, districts with, with pages yeah, like that. Yeah, certainly. But- yeah. You know, making a video can feel like a big lift, especially if you want to get a careers page up by the end of the week. And so if you want to do that, uh, yeah, like exactly what Molly said is like, go to your chamber of commerce, maybe go to another uh, you know, group that's in your area and see like, what have they put together, right? Maybe even there's some tourist attraction nearby and they've put together a video, right? Like maybe not the best thing to have long-term, but in the short term, just highlighting something about the location. And it literally is taking something that's invisible and making it visible. It's one thing to look at Google maps about where something's located. It's another to watch a video or like be there in person. And so the more you can get closer to being in person, the better, especially for that 30% that are open to moving and they're looking to, you know, kind of uproot what they, where they are and go someplace for the right position and right job. Now we talked a little bit about obviously the website, but where are, where else are teachers actually seeking and finding their new job opportunities and how in your mind can, can these schools leverage those channels for recruitment? Yeah. So the top two are one, the district or the school website. And the second was word of mouth. Right. And so I think word of mouth is what we were talking about earlier with culture. So you can't just make a careers page that is, you know, purely aspirational. There needs to be some reality to it as well. And if it 
is real and your teachers and your support staff and administrators, they feel that and they can put some words to it. I think that's really important. Uh, then they're going to talk about it. Right. And one reason to me to have a careers page around retention is if you can really dial in those core values that you have as a district, those things that motivate uh, people to come to your district, it's going to allow them to actually talk about it in a similar way. Right. Some of our other research at School CEO has been about how you can help teachers who actually have the most conversations with community members and parents and, and students, because there's so many of them compared to one superintendent or one communications director, is they just don't know exactly how the district is talking about certain things. And so the more you can give them language about what your values are, what the messaging priorities are as a large district, but also as an individual school or even like how you're thinking about your culture the better, right? Knowing that word of mouth is so powerful. I think that's really important. And one of the reasons word of mouth is so powerful and like this is just come straight out of marketing, right? Is that we instinctively trust people that are like us versus somebody that's advertising to us, right? Someone's job who it is to sell you on a career opportunity, like a recruiter is not gonna be as trustworthy just from the start, no matter who they are, as a teacher who has no interest in recruiting you and is in the position that you are considering, right? That, that teacher is gonna be way more credible because they don't have an incentive. They're not getting paid to recruit you and they've actually lived that firsthand experience. So the more that you can give language to your teachers and staff about what it's like to work there and bring them into a dialogue about who are we as a district? Uh, why do you like working here? What do we need to work on, right? You're not perfect. No company is, no organization or school is. And so the more you can give them language to really talk about that, the better, right? And so I think that's really important. Um, and the example I like to give, and this kind of goes back to the website, but it ties into word mouth as well, is most of us, when we're buying a house these days, we're not doing what we would have done 10 or 15 years ago, right? 10 years ago, you would have started with word of mouth, you would have asked your friends, like, who's a real estate agent you know and trust? Who did you buy your house with? You'd go meet with that agent. They, you tell them what you're looking for. They would go find, uh, you know, these houses for you and you would tour them almost completely offline. Now with sites like Zillow and other things, you're actually doing the opposite where, like in my case, when my wife and I bought a house, uh, we actually looked on Zillow for months, found one, then called a real estate agent cold and said, hey, you don't know us, we don't know you, but we want to buy this house. Can you help? Right. And then we asked, of course, family and friends, like, what's this neighborhood like? Is this the right decision? That kind of thing. But it's kind of this reverse decision making process where people want to discover it on their own. Uh, so I think that's a really important thing to know about is that word of mouth is really important, but you still have to have that that presence online. Otherwise, you're just missing out on opportunities. Uh, some other comments here is like social media was not as important as you might expect. Um, and even things like career fairs, right? Career fairs tend not to be the number one way to find a job. And the simple reason is they're happening once in a while, whereas, you know, the web is out there all the time. And so I think while you should be present, right? We just, I interviewed Dr. Paul Coakley out of Multnomah, Oregon uh, yesterday. And he talked about how his parents, like way back in the seventies were recruited from Nashville to Portland, Oregon from Portland public schools because of a careers fair, right? But that was 50 years ago, things have changed. And so uh, now more than ever, right? It's important to always be, have that presence. Yeah, that's, that's interesting because I think that's something that, is one of those tried and trues that everyone 
all like most districts they're gonna go to the career fairs but it, it could be just like look at look at your data look at your results are you getting more um hits are you getting more teachers from this one well then prioritize that one but maybe direct your 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 marketing dollars elsewhere right and and perhaps um be more present on digital and digital ads as well yeah and just drawing from my own experience of being a recruiter and leading a team that was hiring you go to a career fair and if you like are really good at selling people on why they should work there you know what they're going to do at the end of the day they're going to get online and they're going to look up your district right they're going to look up your organization and if there's nothing there no matter how good you are at recruiting it's going to feel really empty. It's like this person gave me this incredible story. Now I want to dive into it on my own, maybe even tell like family and friends. But when I go there, there's nothing there. So I think when you're considering like which strategy should we do, the web always has to be part of it, right? That careers page, that reason for why someone should work there needs to be crystal clear to them. And then all your other efforts can pour into that, right? And so social media, same thing. Someone sees a social media post. Maybe a teacher says, hey, come join me uh, You know, at the school. We have a great position that's open. What are they going to do? They're going to reach out to that person and they're going to mm -hmm. go to your website. And they're just looking for more information. And if there's nothing there, it falls flat, right? It's There's so much inertia to stay in the job that you're in that it's going to be really hard to pull somebody into a conversation or get them to fill out an application if they haven't been able to find more information on their own. That's a really good point. Yeah, it, it the change is what's going to be dif more difficult. Um, speaking of change and possibly location change, you talked earlier a little bit about location being a critical factor for many teachers, but we're not necessarily talking about job hunters specifically looking to relocate to paradise. Although, I mean, I used to live in Hawaii, would 100% move back. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, tell me a little bit about, about your um, thoughts on that. On location? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. So I'll give a personal example about Aptigy. So Aptigy and School CEO are kind of one and the same and yet distinct entities, right? So we have a really great team here. Uh, Melissa is our editor, and we, you know, publish this research. But Aptigy is that parent company over School CEO. And so when I was heading up our recruiting team and our people team, uh, we're based in Little Rock, Arkansas, which is not Hawaii. Uh, it is not, you know, the top, you know, vacation destination in the U.S. Uh, but it's a good place to live. And so for a long time, especially as like a fast growing tech company helping schools tell their stories, we thought this is a real disadvantage to be in a place like Little Rock because startups are typically found in San Francisco or New York or Austin. And so kind of felt like, ah, this is going to be so much harder because of where we're located. But we didn't change our location. But what we did do is reframe how we thought about that. And so instead of saying like, ah, we're not in San Francisco, there's no other startups to pull from. Instead, we thought, you know what, we actually can offer something that isn't around here, right? Most of the companies here are banking or they're in, you know, like Walmart is in Northwest Arkansas, but there's not a lot of tech startups. There's none that are serving education in the way that Aptigy is, especially at scale. And so we just reframed it to say, you can work here and have that fast startup experience of having a national impact on education but you don't have to leave home. You don't even, you don't have to go live, you know, in the big city, in the tiny apartment with the long commute. Instead, mm -hmm. you can have kind of a slow life outside of the walls of Aptigy and then come inside and crush it and like really be focused and do some exciting, meaningful work. Uh, but then you can go home to a house that's not 500 square feet, right? So that really changed it for us. Now, the location didn't change, the positions didn't change, the company didn't change, the culture didn't change. 
but our mindset as a recruiting team shifted. And so, you know, if you're the, in the middle of nowhere, right, or you feel like that when it comes to recruiting, that can be a disadvantage, but it can also be an opportunity. There are people that want to have a slower pace of life. They want to have more of a community feel because cities are very, you know, overwhelming. And mm -hmm. the other thing I'll add here is like when I talk to rural superintendents, they are telling me, man, I, if I was an urban superintendent, I would have so many more resources and I would have this and I would have that. But then I talked to an urban superintendent and they say, man, if I were a rural superintendent, we would have like a more close knit community. I wouldn't be competing with all these other schools that are on top of me. Uh, you know, it'd just be so much more simple, right? So you can't change your location. Um, you can't change the nature of cities or rural areas, but I do think you can reframe how you think about that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we talk a lot about that and knowing this, how, how can schools make their location more appealing to potential candidates? Again, I know it's about that reframing, but go a little bit into, into how, how you see schools doing that. Yeah, I think it is that visibility part, right? So can you get photos? Can you show things? I've seen some schools do something really simple where like they're posting a link to like the Yelp reviews for like best restaurants and the best hiking right? Hmm. They didn't come up with original content. They didn't have to go like survey, like what are the best hikes or go take a bunch of pictures. They literally link to just other resources that are out there. Then you get on Yelp and you look and you're like, wow, that is really beautiful. And it's just yeah. enough to keep a candidate interested and keep the conversation going. Instead of saying, I looked up the location. It was just, you know, Google maps, some green, some beige. I couldn't really tell what it's about. <laughs> and so I moved on, right? So just the more visible you can make it, the better. And I, I think that's especially true for all those other factors like culture and leadership and support is it's just so intangible. And so the more tangible you can make it, the better. Absolutely. Um, I know that highlighting these elements would certainly catch the eyes and the attention of any teachers that are window shopping, which is a term I saw um, in that 2023 research. Yeah, one of the things that we found is that teachers are actively looking and browsing for other opportunities in a pretty significant way. Like in the past year, the number of that are looking for jobs is very, very high. So uh, to give you an idea, uh, the, about 65% of teachers said that they had looked for other t opportunities in the past year. Uh, but just like Molly said, it was window shopping. Only 23% had actually applied to those jobs. And I think what that tells us is a couple things. One, people are looking, but also what they're, when they're looking, they're not finding something that's meaningful enough for them to take the next step of actually applying. Right. And so that can be a disadvantage. Like if you're a superintendent that's worrying about losing teachers, right, that can feel scary. But I think the opportunity here is to say, okay, if we know people are looking, we know teachers are looking for other opportunities. How can we make our opportunities as attractive as possible? How do we build a careers page? How do we talk about our location? Are we being clear about who we are as a district? What is our identity? The more visible those are, the more you have a chance of taking someone that would otherwise window shop and like actually walk through the door, right? They're actually going to touch the merchandise, talk to the salespeople, right? To continue the analogy. Uh, and instead of just kind of looking and then walking away and, and going about their business.
the way I've kind of started thinking about that too is, you know, the scrolling, right? We're in that culture today where you're, you're going to be on your phone. You're going to be scrolling. Well, teachers are essentially scrolling for job opportunities. And so is, is your, are you in the algorithm? Are you going to pop up? (laughs) Yeah. And on that point, right. Another way that teachers find jobs is through job boards, right? If you kind of know which districts are real close to you, you might just go straight to their website. But if you're looking broader or you have, maybe you're in an urban area and there are tens or hundreds of opportunities, right? It's going to be hard to go to each individual website. And that's where people go to job boards, right? From Indeed to Glassdoor to LinkedIn. And I think the real opportunity here is that it's unlikely that every job opportunity on job board is going to be visited. You know, they're not going to always go to your careers page if you have one. Instead, they're going to quickly look at the title and the job description. And in most cases, unfortunately, schools don't write the best job descriptions. It's things like show up on time, don't leave early, lift 50 pounds, yeah, and then a long the list, list of disclaimers, <laughs> right? Like here's the certifications. Now, legally, you probably have to say some of those things, right? So the advice here is not to like scrap the best practices of, you know, putting legal requirements in, but to add to that, right? While you might have a careers page, how do you take those same ideas, those same visuals and bring it into text? Because Mm -hmm. a job description is going to be seen by many more people. And that hope is that it hooks them, gets them interested, takes them from window shopping and brings them to your website. But if the job description is just about showing up on time, nobody calls mom and dad. If you're, you know, a new teacher and says, read this job description, it says, I have got to be there on time. But what they (laughs) might call mom and dad about or tell their spouse about if they're further into their career or tell colleagues about is like, hey, I've just went through like a hundred job descriptions. This was the only one that got me excited because they talked about how they're supporting their teachers. They're talking about, uh, there's a personal message from the superintendent in there. And it's talking about not just what the job is, but why it matters. And not just why it matters in the sense of like education broadly, but how this specific district thinks about the value of the importance of math, right? Those are the job descriptions that pull people in, get them excited and actually moves the needle as far as your ability to drive applications and to start more conversations. Speaking of driving applications, and I know we also talked a little bit about um, looking at other sectors to to inform best practices. Um, right now, more than ever, we know schools are competing with the private sector for talent. So what unique challenges and opportunities do you feel that this uh, presents? Yeah, I think this is a little bit scary when we think about, you know, teachers are kind of discovering and private sector companies are discovering that teachers can be good at so many jobs, not just teaching. Mm -hmm. And so part of our research looked into that and there are a fair number. Maybe this was the most discouraging news out of the whole research was that there are a pretty large percentage of teachers that are open to leaving K-12. I think that will change with time, right? I think some of that is still kind of that, that pandemic hiring boom. I think that will change. But yeah, as far as like what you can do about this, one thing that we found uh, when we were presenting for uh, NCE, ASA's uh, NCE back in uh, February, we presented on this. And one thing that we did as part of that presentation was to look at the application times of some of the largest private sector companies. And just to give you an idea, uh, places like Netflix, the first step in their application process takes one minute, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Apple, four minutes. Coca-Cola, eight minutes, Amazon, nine minutes. Now that's not the whole application. It's not like Netflix, like you submit an application in one minute and then you get the job or you don't, but it's a first step. Now compare that to a lot of school districts where filling out an application is 
a little bit like doing your taxes, right? <laughs> and it's like, you, unless you have all your documents with you and like a tax advisor next to you, it's going to take like two or three hours. And I think schools are doing a good job of trying to make this better, right? A lot of states have gone to kind of like a, almost like a common app system where you upload all your information for one application, but you can reuse that for a different district. That's better. But I still think if you're an individual school district and you're trying to think about, well, we have to ask these questions. We, of course, need to know. We have to do a background check. We need their social security number, things like that. Yes, you have to do that. But you don't have to do that as the first step, right? Like to use a relationship analogy, it would be akin to like going on a first date and being like, hey, like walk me through uh, your financial plan and <laughs> like what, what what was your tax return like last year, right? It's like, what? Like maybe you talk about that, like, you know, the week leading up to, you know, a proposal or something, but not on the first date. And so my advice to school leaders, especially superintendents, and their HR directors and communication directors, anybody that's touching the website is, can you make it a really short first step? So maybe it's like submit your name and your email address and your years of experience, right? Two or three questions, keep it simple. And then you can follow up with an email or a phone call or some kind of other step that engages them, that tells them about your culture and then ask them if that goes well to take a longer step, right? Which is more like, you know, filling out your taxes. But it's hard to ask somebody who doesn't know who you are or how you're different from other districts to fill out 150 questions before they've kind of received anything from you, right? So my advice there is make it a really short first step where you can keep following up with them, right? An email address, a phone number, a name, those are the details you need to be able to continue the conversation and you can always ask for more information, but if they don't give you that contact information, you never have a chance to follow up. And that follow-up is a key point too. I think that's another area where sometimes districts and schools um, miss out. Like there's a lot of, we've seen a lot of data and, and districts saying, you know, where they lose the teachers is between where they say, yes, we are interested. We are going to start, but then the actual first day of school, well, there's been no communication or there's been little and, you know, talking to, to teachers, like they want the expectations. They want to know what is expected. They want that continued engagement. And, it, and it's part of us as consumers, right? We're used to that in, like you mentioned, these other big brands, um, Coca-Cola, Netflix, they're going to um, keep, keep those touch points coming, right? Um, so yeah, I love what you're saying about make it short and sweet up front, but, but that can't be it. There's got to be more follow-up. Yeah, follow-up is really key. Something we've done actually, uh, we're not perfect at this, but we've really tried our level best is if you think about the, a typical like hiring experience, especially a bad one, what happens? Like you make, you fill out your application and then you hear nothing for three, four, five months. And then you get a, either a rejection notice or like, Hey, we're interested. And you're like, by that time, like I've moved on. Like I've already had another job for four months. Like what are you talking about? <laughs> and so something that we did was actually try to do Friday updates. And sometimes the update was as simple as like, Hey, there is no update this week, but we're just letting you know that you're like still in the process. We're, you're still on our mind. And that has made such a big difference. And unfortunately, right, the reality of like hiring is you're probably going to interview more people than you hire, which means you're going to reject more people than you offer. And so as part of creating a great hiring experience, it's keeping people in the loop. And then when you do reject them, they're like, ah, I'm disappointed, but just thank you for treating me like a human. And mm -hmm. that it wasn't just like me filling out a very long application and then hearing no. Instead, there were all these positive touch points along the way. And the other part for schools, like you can't, change your location, you probably can't hire remotely either, which means that someone you reject this year might actually be the right 
candidate in a couple of years when there's a different opening or they've gotten more experience or they've changed in some way. And so if you don't create that positive experience, it's unlikely that it's going to be a great start, you know, in a couple of years, or if they even give you the chance to talk to them in a couple of years. That's a really good point too. Um, now thinking, talking a little bit more about, uh, what I, I definitely like to dive into brand. Uh, can you explain the importance in, in your eyes of having that unique message or employer brand in attracting and retaining teachers? Yeah. So employer brand is really just how former current or future prospective hires think about your district as an employer. Right. And a lot of school districts have a mission statement. They may even have some core values that they've written down. And I think that's actually the starting point for your employer brand. But it is distinct. It's distinct from your general purpose. Right. Because it's specifically focused on the employees. And so, like in the case of Aptigy, right, like we're focused on helping schools build a strong brand and a strong identity. But our employer brand is about doing work that matters and hiring thoughtful high performers. Right. Now, they're not exclusionary, right? Those two things actually really build on each other. Like those are two columns of building a great organization and supporting more than 4,000 districts across the U.S. in a very short amount of time and building it all organically, too. Uh, but the point here is that we had to create a more specific message about what it's like to work here. Who are we looking for? And being really crystal clear about that, right? High performance and thoughtfulness, very simple. Uh, we're not the first people to think, you know, we want to work with nice people that also work hard, right? It's not like we, you know, came up with something original, but what we did do is say, these are authentic to us. It's also aspirational. It's who we want to continue to strive to be. And let's double down on this. Let's continue to focus on this as a culture, but also as part of our recruiting message. And it's really worked, right? When our own employees are, you know, out there eating tacos with some friends and someone's like, hey, you work here. What is it like? They're using the same language that a recruiter would use not because they've been trained or they have an incentive to recruit, but because that's who we are, that's what they signed up for. And then we've reinforced that daily through our own language and our own careers page, our own meetings, all of that. Absolutely. Um, so what are some actionable recommendations that you have for K-12 leaders during the hiring experience? I know we've touched on a few, but especially that can build the important culture of trust and support. Yeah, I would say, yeah, if you have your employer brand, you know what your culture is and your who your leadership is and wants to be, making sure that finds its way into the actual interviews, right? Don't just ask, are you certified in math in this way? Or do you have, can you check these boxes? Do that. But then also talk about, you know, we're looking for thoughtful people. Can you walk us through like how you would be thoughtful here or talk about it your last job? what were you known for? Like, what were the things that were most important to you? And how do you think your peers saw you, right? You're trying to dig in to find out, like, is this person aligned with our values? Uh, and that's pretty common advice, I think. But I think really owning that. And if someone says something that is contrary to what you're looking for, you really need to hire that math teacher, right? But if they're saying something that is contrary to your values, letting your values make the decision and say, you know what? in our gut, we know that this person is not true to our values. And so we're going to have to make that hard decision, even though we don't want to miss out on that position, right? That is really difficult to do. But that's the power of a brand. That's the power of values is that they can help you make those decisions. Especially because that person, if they're in that position, they're 
it, they, it's going to cause more harm than good. You know, they're going to, they can undo um, some of the good that the, the, the other positive folks who are the right person, the right fit have, have helped ingrained in that culture, in that school. So um, that's right. Yeah. I, I mean, retention happens. starts at hiring. Right. So I think that's a really good point, Molly. Absolutely. One other thing I would say, and this is like my best advice. Uh, there's plenty of things I could have done better with hiring here, but one of the things that really worked was when we make offers to candidates, instead of just saying, here's the salary, the start date, your position title, uh, we tell them a couple things. One, we tell them, uh, we ask them, you know, what are your thoughts? Like, what are your, as we've gone through this process, what are your thinking? But then we tell them, hey, we'll tell you two things. Like one, we'll tell you why we're offering you a job, what we saw in you, how it aligns with our culture and our values. And the second thing is we want to go ahead and give you some feedback. And it's not feedback on like, you know, in your interviews, you should be more specific. Instead, it's like, we think, you know, you're coming from a big company, coming to a smaller one, I think you're going to struggle with that. Or uh, where you're, you've been in the past is a little bit slower pace. We work really fast and hard here. And we think you're up to the challenge, but also want you to know ahead of time, as you make your decision, it's not going to be what you're used to. And the responses to this has been really fantastic, right? People have said, I haven't had feedback like that from an employer where I worked for five years and I'm not even signed up yet and I'm getting that feedback. So that's been really positive. And then just kind of that setting that tone of like, this is a conversation culture. We're going to be really direct upfront and honest, and we expect you to do the same. And so again, it's kind of taking those values of who we are and blending it into every part of the hiring experience. Absolutely. The last thing setting I would those say- expectations. Yeah, those expectations, exactly. And it, I mean, when you're getting a job offer, it's a pretty serious moment, right? People are paying attention. So we really wanted to use that moment to, to make it effective. The other thing I would say, kind of going back in the interview process is don't just involve people that are the subject matter expert. Like, it's a good idea to have a math teacher interview a math teacher, right? You probably don't want like the English teacher asking math questions of a math candidate. But you can still involve the English teacher as a culture champion, right? Especially if they're the similar age or they had a similar experience where they moved from the big city to the rural town or vice versa, right? And just be able to talk about their experience because just like you're interviewing candidates, they're also interviewing you. And if you have a math teacher that knows math inside and out, but is not really bought in, it is gonna come through to the candidate. But if you can bring an English teacher or whoever, right? Maybe it's even the, the football coach into that conversation, to talk about why they work there, why they're excited about your district, what values they see and what's important to them, that can make the actual difference of whether somebody takes an offer or keeps looking. Love it. Um, I know we are running out of time. Like you said, we could have really talked about each one of these just for three hours. But before we wrap up, where can our listeners go to learn more about School CEO? Yeah, School CEO, one, we have a publication, we have a print magazine, it's unlike anything else that's out there. So it's really the first marketing magazine for school districts. And we mail that out to more than 22,000 school leaders across the country and the world. Uh, but if you don't get it, you can go to schoolceo.com. And you can find past issues, individual articles, we also have a podcast. Uh, that really dives deeper with subject matter experts on what we're talking about. We talk to K-12 leaders about how they're thinking about hiring, how they're shaping their culture, what their brand is. And then we're also talking to private sector leaders, right? So one of the best episodes we had last year was with someone named Michael Bush. He's a CEO of Great Place to Work, that organization that certifies different companies and schools 
as a fantastic place to work based on employee data and surveys. And so he came on and he talked about how do you really shape that culture? If you're a leader and you're like, I want to change culture, but it seems so nebulous, what can I actually do to, to change it? We had him on, we talk about storytelling with storytelling experts like Karen Eber or Neil Ford, the TikTok star. And we bring in these different voices into a dialogue so that it's not just theoretical or research, but it's actually practical. And what I love about it, the podcast and the magazine is that we're taking ideas from the private sector and then showing how K-12 leaders have actually pulled that off in their district. So it's not just aspirational and it's not just simple tactics, right? It's really a conversation between both of those. And I, my hope and our hope at School CEO and at Aptigy is that it can really help you build a strong brand, both to hire the right people, but also to attract families and students to your district and get the whole community engaged. Absolutely. And I know that that's, that's where you and I have found some synergy because we, you know, at Rhodes do the same thing where we want to take the best practices from the private sector, from, um, and higher ed as well, saying like what, what's worked really well and how has K-12 been able to optimize this? And if they haven't yet, here's how we can like, let's, let's get in it Absolutely. there and do it. Um, so we end every podcast with the same question. And that is, if you could wave a magic wand, what is one thing that you would fix in education? I'm glad you gave me a heads up on this question because it is not an easy question <laughs> to answer. So if you're asking this at the end of every podcast, I would challenge your listeners to think about their own answer to this question. It's definitely a good one for some self-reflection. The best answer that I have is I think I would wave that wand and I would open everyone's eyes, the general public, even people within schools to all the good and the great moments that are happening inside of schools every day, right? There's always going to be things that need to be fixed, right? If you're a school leader, you're focused on how do I solve the problems? How do I solve what's not going as well as it could? But I think there's just so many amazing things that are happening and we just have lost our eyes to see those things. And so, uh, you know, it's our perspective that educators are doing really amazing things. They just need to tell those stories. And I think we actually have taken for granted this incredible thing called education, especially American education. And we need to like step back and just marvel at not only what it is, but what it's done for, you know, the better part of a century and really like, you know, take a moment and self-reflect and say like, this is incredible look at all the people that are making this work right from teachers and bus drivers to administrators and superintendents and i just wish yeah i wish that wand would give everybody eyes to see the incredible things that we're taking for granted every day well that that may be one of the best answers we've had to that question so listeners good idea take notes <laughs> think about that question if you're going to be on this podcast you're going to get it as well tyler thank you so much for your time today i've it's really been a joy and a pleasure Thank you, Molly. Yeah, really enjoyed it. I could talk about this all day. So uh, yeah, if you want to follow School CEO on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and uh, definitely like reach out to us, right? We're always seeking those stories, right? I wish we had a wand to capture every great story, but we do get to capture hundreds of them with our writers and our researchers here at, uh, at School CEO. So uh, go to schoolceo.com, come tell us your story. We'd love to, to interview you. And occasionally it gets into the podcast or into the magazine. Awesome. For, th for links to the school CEO data that we referenced today on the podcast and to follow Tyler on LinkedIn and Twitter, be sure to check out this episode's show notes. And thank you for listening to Productive Disruption. Disruption.